0: Wow. That was it's the just... most
1: high pitched one we've ever done. Next time I'll do it really low. Oh my goodness. Today's episode <laughs> is brought to you by HelloFresh. Visit HelloFresh.com and use promo code BrainCandy30 to save $30 off your first week
0: of deliveries. You guys said you were missing oh my goodness. the songs, and then I brought them back, and you guys are probably write in and be like, yo, you can get rid of those songs. I mean, that high pitched was something special. <laughs> I wow, wow, wow! To pull out, you know, all stops for you. It was like
1: a power ballad mm. kind of mm-hmm. anthem. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to episode one seventy one. Super fun. Super. Fun as always. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing really well. Are you stressed about your new your exam?
0: <sighs> I'm a little stressed, really? you know. But like I think that there is actually we were reading about this a little bit ago. I can't remember the name for it, but there's a study about the a theory or something. I can't even remember what it's called now, but about the perfect amount of anxiety to have for something. Yeah. And how you need. A little bit is great because it gets you prepared. Too much is crippling, but not enough is also not good. You want to have... And there's an actual name for it that now I'm forgetting, but it well, is the... Well, but what's the,
1: the secret? Because that can be
0: hard to control. Oh, I, can't, I have no control over it. All I know is that I always have way too much anxiety. Really? Oh, I have not had a good night of sleep because I go to bed practicing. Oh, that's terrible. And so I do an hour of presentation before I fall asleep, and I put myself to bed like critiquing my own work.
1: That's a shame, because it sure isn't worth
0: it. No, it's not. But if you got a trick
1: for, you know... The only one that I've heard is that supposedly, when you get that nervous feeling, you're supposed to tell yourself, I'm excited. I used to do
0: that for the challenge. Yeah, That's why you always see me being like, I love heights, I'm super pumped, because I used to be like, if I trick myself and tell me that, tell myself these are endorphins, not well, endorphins. That, that will, <laughs> if I just label it
1: differently. Yeah. You know, but I mean, I, that works to a certain extent, uh-huh. but I mean, you have to keep telling yourself because uh-huh. then your body's like, nope, nope. I'm just scared.
0: Yep. Just real scared. Nope. right now. And the worst is like, I, I went to go practice in front of my husband and I started talking and then it was like, I didn't, know what to say no and had all this information in my head and I couldn't find the words and then all I could think about was how I don't have the words and instead of thinking about what I'm going to say I just started thinking about oh my god what were you going to say next and that it totally derails your train and you know or just Hoping that doesn't happen. <laughs> god. <tail. laughs> Go You'd think with all the talking I do on this GD thing, I'd be good at it by now. But this is the problem. Time to practice. Is that
1: whenever it's not about being ourselves, right. we're useless.
0: <gasps> useless. Oh that's, my god.
1: That's why I can never be an actress, because oh, I am I, only good at one thing. That's true. Being
0: Suze. Yep. And that you <laughs> are fantastic at.
1: Uh I was gonna tell you this off the air, but I'll tell you no. Oh yes, because I Because why that. not? Why not? Uh, I went back to Pittsburgh with you, as you know. Yeah. And I spent some time with my family. And my dad is not in good health, but, like, almost doesn't – he knows he's not in good health, but he is in denial about how – he truly looks like he's on death's door, right? So, <sighs> like, he looks old and not good. Like, if you just saw him, you'd be like, well, that guy's going to die soon. <laughs> okay.
0: God. But She's he, just saying this with a shit in green on her, <laughs> grin on her
1: He loves this kind of stuff, so yeah. believe me, yeah. this is not a big deal. So I I show up, and all my other brothers and sisters are already there, and I made the mistake of asking how he was doing, which uh-huh. is just small talk. Right. But then he'll tell you. Uh-huh. So he starts telling me this story about how he went to this uh, – it's like 7-Eleven, but it's called sheets And <laughs> – and it's got good food. It's, like, top-notch. I
0: hope it only sold bed sheets. I thought it was, like, only going to be linens. Sheets with a Z. Okay.
1: And he decided he wanted donuts. Mm-hmm. So he goes in and gets his, I think, several donuts, at least one, and he falls <gasps> at Sheets.
0: <gasps> like a fall.
1: <laughs> right, like a fall. For
0: when you're When old? you're old. Yeah, that's yeah. dangerous. Oh, no.
1: And he drops the donut. And so he really wants that donut still. And so he's, like, on the floor trying to get this donut at Cheats. Oh, no. <laughs> and he goes, and every time I went to grab a donut, it would kept crumbling apart. And then, oh my <laughs> <goodness>. <laughs> and then eventually <gasps> he gets the donut. It's been on the floor at Also, She's- he's
0: on the floor. The priorities here are kind of mixed up.
1: <laughs> and so finally, he somehow gets up. But I—that that is a mystery because he couldn't for a while, evidently. And then... Swear to God, he still bought the donut and no, ate it. No, yeah. Did he pay full price? I don't know the details because the last thing you ever want to do is no, ask follow up. You're
0: questions. right. That's that you should. You learned your lesson with the "How are you doing?" question.
1: The weird part for me, and the reason I even bring it up, despite it being a bizarre story that I think our listeners will appreciate, <laughs> is that when he was telling the story at the end, he was like describing how he was trying to get up, and he was like. And I was like holding on to this thing and, you know, like an old man. And he was talking about how he had to shuffle to the cash register like Like an old old man man. would do.
0: Not, I'm an old man. He's
1: 75 years old Uh and he looks like he's 95. Uh Like no joke. And I thought this is a very interesting concept Mm -hmm. about when you look in the mirror, do you see the truth? Right. Or... Do you see something from your past? Man,
0: this is an interesting thing to discuss. So that's what I wanted to talk about. It's really, because what do you see?
1: Well, I think we don't know. Like, we think we see the truth, but it's informed by our yeah. memory of what we look like and who we are. And maybe that's why when you see a picture of yourself, it's different. And how you're sometimes uh, like, wait, that doesn't look like me. Maybe it does.
0: I always tend to feel very childlike, like... um uh when I see okay, for example, when we did our Halloween pictures, and you and I had both dressed up as the Instagram or the the emoji twins. Oh yeah. And we were wearing the exact same outfit, and I felt like a little girl standing next to a grown woman next to you because I look at something like big boobs as a symbol of like womanhood, and because I'm a flat chested size double A female. I always see myself as a little girl. Like, I still don't look in the mirror and see myself as a grown woman. Even when people call me ma'am, even when I see I see young girls who are 18 or 19 who have, like, big boobs, and t- they I feel like less of a woman next to them and feel very, di- like, not a woman because I don't physically... And I I always think like, oh, maybe when I have kids and I'm breastfeeding, like then I'll feel like a woman. But I don't feel like one.
1: That is really
0: weird. I feel like a little girl all the time. But do you think
1: it's the boobs or the trauma that happened when you were a kid? It could be both. Oh.
0: And like I feel very comfortable wearing like things like overalls and Converse and like, you know, almost like dressing like a little, like not like a little kid. But, you know, and, you know, my husband calls it Punky Brewster chic because it's like what I like to wear. And I almost feel like I'm putting on dress-up clothes when I wear, like, a, a blazer Whoa. and a business suit when I'm doing anything professional for work or something like that. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's kind of the same Yeah, it is. Because I think... And trauma trapping you in that one place. I think our <gasps> oh. brains are tricked
1: into thinking, like, that we're objective mm-hmm. about how we look or... Whatever, but that people looking at us see a totally different thing. I right, and that's a bizarre thing. Like I don't my know what this dad is old, yeah, looks old, walks old, everything about him, and yet he thinks of himself as like maybe middle aged.
0: Uh huh. That's wow. weird. Yeah. What do you and think of you? Excuse me. What do you think of you as? I mean, I you don't have a know. kid though, so that also it sets. That's true. You know, it There's kind of markers. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that break things up. I definitely don't feel like the person that was on TV like many uh-huh. moons ago or anything like that. I feel like okay. a lot
0: of distance from What that. about before you had a child, but when you were a professor? When mm-hmm. you were the adjunct professor, when you taught class, did you feel like you were a professor?
1: Yeah, but okay. the thing is I don't think other people see me like that. Uh-huh. So that's a bummer.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it
1: was reversed actually. Well, for some people, right? It,
0: yeah, because
1: some people say like they always feel like they're faking mm-hmm. it, and like, but everyone else feels like no, that's an expert right there. But it's like the reverse where I actually am an expert, and everyone's like, it that's just like, a nice gal, right? <laughs> I don't know. Wow, but that's weird, really interesting. Yeah, and I even brought it up to my siblings. I'm like, did you hear him when he said like an old man? Everyone's like, yeah, that was weird.
0: Oh. You know? uh
1: He's the only one. one, It's like the emperor's new clothes over there, except with donuts and sheets. Um, (laughs) uh, Anyway, if you don't want to go to Sheets to get your food and you want to cook at home, we recommend HelloFresh.
0: Definitely recommend it.
1: It is such a great service, right? No matter how old you are or how old you think you are. Um, and that's the thing, it's great for my son, he helps me cook, it's a, very, it's a really nice family thing to get all the ingredients sent to your door. As I thought you made
0: such a good point the other day when you said, and there's no food that's waste. That's my biggest number one thing now, is I can't believe how much food I throw away if I do not use one of these services.
1: Yeah, because they just send you exactly Ugh. the amount that you need to make the recipe, and then that's how much your family will eat, so yeah. it's perfect. Um, and we wanted to give you a good deal and it's a good deal anyway, because it's like $10 per meal, which oh is God. such a barg.
0: I, I know that I throw away more than that a week. Isn't it gross? And I I mean, I just threw a whole thing of snap peas away and baby carrots and I'm like, it's a, there goes $12 down the yeah. ground.
1: And they consider themselves farm to box company or a, they like to call themselves a couched kitchen company. Oh, that's cute. Which makes sense. Um, But they have classic box, veggie box, family box. You can choose what you like, and that's um, great, too. So if you would like to try HelloFresh, you should go to HelloFresh.com and enter our code, which is BRAINCANDY30, to get $30 off your first week of deliveries. Give it a try. See what your family thinks. And they always change up the recipes, too, Mm -hmm. so it's not boring at all. Um, And we love that. So give it a try. Um, Okay. That was my, like... Story about my family. Oh, yeah. You're welcome for that. Thank you for that. Um, I saw this video about diamond shopping, like if you're shopping for a ring and how it's all like ridiculous. I,
0: I think this is a thing that we should definitely discuss because as the holidays come up, I feel like I'm seeing more and more commercials now. Mm-hmm. And I'm always interested because uh, we ESPN is often on in our house. And ESPN starts playing more diamond commercials around this time of year,
1: right? Because you sell
0: to the buyers,
1: exactly right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of fellas hopefully are getting their ladies jewelry, which is cool. But this video basically said Tiffany, Harry Winston, um, diamonds. They didn't mention them, but pretty much everywhere. K Jewelers, no, because they were going to the super high end ones. Okay, where like the markup is insane. insane. And they were saying that it's the same diamonds that they have at Costco. It is.
0: Tiffany's is the, totally the same. Yeah. It's, it's outrageous and total baloney.
1: Mm-hmm. It was like you could go to Costco or even
0: Walmart or wherever. Or even online. Oh, yeah. They, they actually named like Blue mm-hmm. Nile. Yes, that one. Those are the same. Great. Same diamonds. Totally the same. Buy your diamond there. Then you can customize the setting, make it how you want it. You do it the same and anywhere then, you go.
1: You can buy the Tiffany box on eBay for twenty five bucks. Yeah, no problem. If you really wanted to scam your girl Mm -hmm. or your guy (gasps) or whoever.
0: Oh my god, do you want to know something? What? When my parents got divorced, my mom went to a pawn shop to trade in her ring. Yeah. It was fake.
1: (gasps) C Z Max.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh my god, no. Her wedding ring was not real. Cubic zirconia? Mm -hmm. I can't believe that the bitch didn't notice. hard to tell i mean I, they must it must have been a good faker because oh my she god. could not she could bitch. not tell i'm kidding my mom's not a bitch <laughs> it was a... just for joking <laughs> for a joke she oh me. my god wow and actually he's the bitch but you know
1: i, I can you believe that try to get pull a fast one over on... you know what i bet it's pretty common i bet it is because they're so expensive I mean, but if you were gonna get a
0: fakie wouldn't you be like oh this was like casual fake
1: that's even smarter i know <laughs> I know how this box scam on eBay works though, because I had, uh, bought a pair of Chanel sunglasses and they come with
2: oh, all the, uh, yes. you know, the
1: booklet, the authenticity. And, mm-hmm. and I sold that on eBay. I got 36 bucks for that kit and it was just the box and oh the tags.
0: God. And then they put fakies in there and then, okay. I'm
1: contributing to, you, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Lies, but I'm not yeah, lying. I'm just selling your box, yeah. <laughs> I'm just Selling me your box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I just thought, well, what if would you do if Landon was like, I really want to buy you
0: a bigger diamond, mm-hmm. so I got it at Costco. I'd be like, that's fine. In fact, I would be upset if he bought it for more than he should have paid for it. Well, yeah, the, like the- he went to a Jewish jeweler that he knew from Why are his you saying Jewish? because those are the good jewelers in new york they're all it's like absolutely if you they're this is not a stereotype or that is it you go into the diamond district yeah. and you will be sold a diamond a good diamond by a nice man in a yarmulke Stop it right now that's where he and he got the the who to buy it from from his rabbi it, probably <laughs> his besties rabbi
1: because wow. our friend
0: dan he know, he knows all the guys from his family he's like yeah my uncle or cousin or somebody or something he's related to is like got a guy in the diamond business and right so he got a deal so you felt good about it yes
1: yeah i feel and good about i knew too. yeah
0: and but the same guy he got a good deal from was the same guy who did the setting settings and that was just like meh he's like i want to get that is like a crummy setting like well you know someday we'll get you know have you do it the way you want it, whatever, but the diamond was fantastic I mean, in essence, there's nothing
1: wrong with a markup because the you know that's business mm-hmm. and uh these Tiffany places were marking up like three hundred percent oh my God, but so annoying you know you're paying for the name, and some people that's really important, yeah, and I don't judge them. I just think, hey, you know
0: and it is nice to be able to, to go into a Tiffany store if you have. Any of their jewelry, and they'll clean it up for you. They'll shine it. They'll make it look like brand new. And you can just walk in there, and you can even take in jewelry that's not theirs. And if you have a piece, and be like, "Oh, I want to bring in this Tiffany's piece," and also, can you just shine this up while you're at it? They'll do it. And yeah. So you kind of get that service that would normally. Yeah, for cost some you, people,
1: that's worth five yeah, thousand. <laughs> yeah, not really Like they had a two-carat ring, and it was eighty grand. No. <gasps>
0: I mean, that's rough. That's, that's rough times. Hopefully the diamond isn't rough.
1: <laughs> smooth. That's smooth. That better be. But the idea that it's somehow better or different than another two-carat, that, that's yeah. all baloney. In
0: fact, uh, my favorite ring that I've seen, one of the girls in my school has two bands that go around her ring, and she got them on Etsy. And they're real diamonds and everything. And paid so little for them. I was like, oh my God, I need that. I'm going to go get that because it's wow. so cute. It's like 200 bucks for her beautiful bands. She got two of them and they're like stacked and adorable. She got them on Etsy. Wow. Well, I cannot picture buying Diamond rings. And Rays. when I show you this, I'll show you the picture of it. It's beautiful. Wow. Good for her. And good for Etsy. Yeah. And I even told her, I was like, oh my God, where'd you get that? I, I'm looking. And she's like, uh, Etsy. Wowzers. Yeah. Huh. Unsolicited. Good like, to know. Yeah.
1: You know what is a good deal, though?
0: What's a good deal, Suze?
1: Stamps.com.
0: Duh. Yep. Tell the people.
1: Well, anytime we ship anything to you, our merch or anything that you buy from us, we- Tiffany's jewelry. If we send you (laughs) Tiffany's boxes or (laughs) Chanel boxes that we sell on eBay, uh, we sell it. We sell it, and then we ship it, stamps.com. It's convenient, easy, reliable, and flexible. They bring all of the services of the U.S. Postal Service to your fingertips and they, you can get postage printed from your desk that's for a letter, package, any class of mail, and uh, we got a deal for you. Right now, you too can enjoy stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Brain Candy. That's Stamps.com. Enter Brain Candy. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. See how I said it classy? I did. Again. That was was nice. Um, How about how I was reading uh, that dogs in the Iditarod? Oh, yeah. um, Tested positive for doping. (laughs) What, What? What? True. That's okay. First of all,
0: why are we testing the dogs? Why are they? Yeah. I guess it's just like any other sport. Who knew? And what if, wouldn't it be hilarious if the dogs were like, no, I swear I had a poppy seed muffin. <laughs> right. The dog comes out. He's like Garfield. And he's like, no, I ate the whole poppy seed cake. I promise. I
1: wasn't doping. I mean, I guess it makes total sense, but it's
0: just something I never thought of. Or what of. if it were all those dogs from that cigar picture, you know, when they're all playing <laughs> poker and like, they're all just like doing coke in the background and rolling joints and like the dogs from that picture were like, hey, you know what would be fun? We should get in shape. Let's go sign up for the Iditarod. <laughs> and they're like, oh man, all that partying we did earlier, that really fucked us up. Now we're out of the race.
1: <laughs> I love that they're like, when the when I read the thing
0: though, it was as if... The dogs had chosen to right, do that's it. What, that's right. That's what you made it sound like. I could just like like the dogs are the one who are testing positive. <laughs> and I get like it. They're but... peeing in a little cuff, but like lifting their leg, and the cups are right next to a fire hydrant. So that. Yes. Like... <laughs> do you think that it's the same stuff as humans or is like different? Oh, you know what I think it is. I bet it's that, like, Clenbutrol, the stuff that they use for horses that, like, is that diet pill that makes you your heart race really fast and will, like, open up your blood vessels or some sort of, like, yeah, um, what do they call it? <laughs> uh, um, vasodilator or vasoconstrictor, either one of those will, because that's kind you, of You my... seem to know a lot about this. <laughs> I watched that Bigger, Faster, Stronger documentary, and it really took home a lot of information. Right, I just... Or what if I were like, I'm really into dog sledding.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, horse breeding. I know your type.
0: Yeah, right? Yeah, I just thought that was weird. It is weird. I want to share that with you. I do want to know what they're taking. (laughs) Get some of that. I I mean, no, not that. I just am interested in like, you know. Uh, uh, I got one that I really just want to hear your take on. Oh, God. This is kind of like a thing for the Sour Patch, but instead... Shall I I play
1: the music You can play
0: the music because I have a feeling you're going to be... Crabby about this. So, you know what? Hit the music. All right. All right. Are you ready to be crabby? Ready. Susie, Southwest Airlines has recently put in motion, <laughs> put in flight. <laughs> yes. This idea of having. Live music on airplanes. Ready, get crabby. <laughs> I am not happy.
1: <laughs> this is I the worst part. Not... They're calling
0: it live at 35.
1: No, they're not.
0: Like 35,000 feet.
1: On h- which flights?
0: Oh, good question. I don't know. Some that are long enough to play a h- whole album. Oh, my God. And one guy, his name's Devin Dawson. He's the one who's been on so far that they did, a- they did this.
1: What kind of music is it? Could you imagine being... Tell me right now,
0: pop country.
1: (laughs) No, it's not. It's not. It is.
0: It is. That's maybe the worst. The worst one. Can you imagine being trapped at thirty-five thousand feet or what? Probably something like that. But like more newer than that, you know, because that was like twenty years ago. Kelsey Ballerini, no Devin Dawson. (laughs) Just the one? I don't know. So far, that's the only one that's been. Announced. Whose idea was this? I don't know, but I'm seeing all this, this new trend of trying to do this advertising on airplanes in different ways. There's nobody I love more than the gals of Broad City. Yeah, I love Alana Glazer and Abby Wexler so much. Yes. However, uh oh, Abby did a. She was, and I would have said yes too. Virgin, Virgin Airlines were doing these comedians in the sky thing where they would have comedians do their act or do not like their act, but some sort of act. And the weird thing was, is it wasn't like she, she wrote, it was almost like she wrote a script for it. And then there was nobody else. You couldn't see anybody else in the video. It was kind of like her self, self videoing herself, um, you know, doing like a, a home video at different places in the airplane and like her whole bit was um and it sounds funny to even say it right now but every time she picked up the camera there would be a new like facial hair she would like grow facial hair somewhere so it would be started like a and it would be like a piece of paper that she just drew squiggles of hair on like taped it under her lip she'd be like "Uh oh now i have a mustache and then it was a beard and then it was like a whole thing and so it was like a whole comedy bit that would have been hilarious outside of the um context of it being on an airplane like if it were just a funny video that was a clip on broad city it would have been great but the fact that it was like advertising for virgin airlines i was like oh, i love you but like i don't like this i mean and it didn't make me want to shot fly on virgin anymore
1: i'm not even in favor of creative um safety yeah. videos
0: oh me either. <laughs> goodness gracious delta delta come on delta you know Smoking is not allowed. <laughs> it's that redhead. And then they put her in every... Like a cameo in every video now. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, thank you. No, thank you. And then if there's a choreographed dance number no. or that... No, no. I don't like it. Just give me the demo with... The, I'm not listening or paying attention anymore or any less based on how you're presenting the info.
1: Yeah. it To me, it's like overreaching. Totally. And there are so many things about... Uh, the airline industry, that you should improve, stop it with the videos. That's not what we were mad about. No,
0: we're not. And no amazing choreography is going to make me okay with the six inches of knee space you took away.
1: Yeah. That's the thing that I'm saying is how about you stop it with that creative video production and actually improve my experience on the flight. How about that idea? How about that? Sour Patch. Mm Mm-hmm. And this, if I were on a, I would not be okay. I'm no. so mad. Like, I don't even know how to say I know. it.
0: As soon as I saw it come up in my feed of an article like this, I said, oh, no, Susie's going to hate this.
1: Because where do you wear noise-canceling headphones more than on a plane? Why would you invite more noise on there?
0: Mm-mm, mm-mm,
1: mm-mm. I mean, I'd, to be honest, I'd rather hear babies crying. I'm going to just put it out there right now. More babies on flights. <laughs> Less music.
0: <laughs> I really do it because that and is. And how am a whole I supposed thing. to watch my video with my headphones turned up no, all the way, no. laughing inappropriately, louder than I should. Devin Dawson is the problem. Definitely. <laughs> so is Southwest. <laughs> but I'm probably gonna fly you because you got the best airline, you know. Oh you
1: no. But, all right, that was good. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Um, I'm gonna tell you one more thing and then we'll we have a special guest, Ooh, okay. which is really fun. Um, uh, let's see what would be good for you today. Uh, How Mm. about how this, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be like, oh yeah, I knew that already. I love when you set me
0: up like that. I probably didn't know this.
1: (laughs) Dogs emote more when someone is looking at them.
0: I think this falls into the, I didn't know that, but I, you blew my mind when you told me about the cats only meowing at people. And I feel like this could be that.
1: It's like the same thing. Like, and it wasn't, so they <sighs> measured it whenever food was being offered, you know, without a human present. And how do they measure emoting? So it was like tongue out. Okay. Uh, eye gestures, probably wagging. So almost doing things to get your attention. To make you like make them. You,
0: oh. Like to be
1: charming. Like they know yeah. that you're charmed
0: by it. Oh, they definitely do. Because my dog works it. Or maybe they just have more emotions. Oh, when food's.
1: Oh. The motivation's unclear. But it's not like if there's food being offered but no human, no emotion. Okay. Oh. So it's not the food. It's, it's not, the human interaction. Yes, so Interesting. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. I do like that. But it's sort of like when a tree falls in the woods, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? <laughs> it
0: is. You're like, oh, I don't How know. do you know? <laughs> is that observer effect really real or not?
1: Right. Maybe they know you're watching, they can hear real I good. Mean,
0: Except my dog, Landon thinks he's <laughs> deaf. I think he's just obstinate. You think he might be deaf? Landon does think our dog has hard of hearing. He's not. I didn't. I said the same thing. He I'm hears like, when no. I knock. Exactly. And then sometimes he just is like, mm, I don't care to get up right now. Yeah. But he gets really emotional when it's time for bed, and he resists and will not let us put him in his cage, and backs up and everything. And oh my gosh, it's so ridiculous. And then I try to give him a little kiss, and I'd be like, Come here. Come here, Siggy. Give me a good night kiss. And he snubs me and he just turns his cheek the other way. Oh And won't. And usually he'll lick all over my face when I go. And then when it's bedtime, he just turns his head and is like, no. Why? Because he's mad that I'm putting him to bed. I'm putting oh, him in his kennel. great. Yeah. And so he's like, no kisses for you. What an asshole. I know. That's intentional. Yeah. Kids are
1: like that too. It's all right. Yeah. We know how they really feel. Yeah. They love us. Um, our guest today is really fun because, well, it's ironically fun. Yeah. Because she is an author. Her name is Kate Winkler Dawson, and she wrote a book called Death in the Air, which does not sound fun. But- oh, my
0: God. On the subject of airplanes.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. air. I was just <laughs> saying. This is it's about the time but- <laughs> I
0: was on a plane where music started,
1: <laughs> and I killed everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Death in the Air, the true story of a serial killer, the great London smog, and the strangling of a city. So here's what is great about the book. First of all, the cover is amazing and you should just take a look at that because they found uh, a picture of a woman, a black and white photo from that time when uh, there was a smog in London and she has this beautiful scarf wrapped around her mouth and she has this look. It's very arresting and it's so elegant, but Mm -hmm. you know that she's walking through like pea soup in the city because it's so gross. Anyway, the the author conflates or um compares the response at the same time in London there was a serial killer on the loose and there was a smog. The smog was killing thousands of people um by, you know, different ailments that it can create in your Pollution. lungs and things, yeah. And the serial killer of course is scary, but was not killing <laughs> thousands of people. And so it speaks to the way that humans have fear and yes. why they are scared of certain things, but not other things that are more like yes. pressing, including now with the
0: climate, climate change. change. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You just blew my mind with that. Yeah. That is a really good comparison. Comparison. Yeah.
1: And we all do it. I'm <sighs> way more interested to read about the guy in Vegas than I am to read about the ice caps
0: melting. Yeah. And you people know. will march outside of... Uh, you know, a parent, Planned Parenthood clinic. Meanwhile, there are tons of deaths happening from
1: climate change. Yeah, yeah. or a,
0: a, a, a hundred other things that yeah. are, you know,
1: right. That we we don't we prefer to hear and read and educate ourselves about things that are right. sexy in that way. You know, yes. sort of like dangerous. Well, and, and
0: also that are are. We have some sort of control over... That's some what sort I said.
1: Of... We feel like if we yes. catch the boogeyman, yep. then it's all going to be
0: fine. Yep, I that's... said that to her in the interview. Interesting. Yeah. It really does. because control mean, Even thing. though I have yet to read the book and yeah. it sounds so good and I can't wait too, but that's kind of where my mind goes with that and why we love Law & Order special victims unit and stuff like that because we want closure and it's easier to have closure with one person than yeah. a concept or an idea.
1: Exactly.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: Yeah, and she's a fascinating writer. Really does a good job of putting you into the that time and um What time was this? So this was, let me look at the exact year because I really don't even remember. I think it was 1952. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So uh <laughs> the killer is pictured here and um <gasps>
0: yeah <laughs> you
1: sense that he's evil?
0: No, he's uh, worse.
1: He looks normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And the most evil ones are like that. Like Yeah. Ted Bundy. And,
1: and it's shit. um it's just a really great read and she she's cool cuz she's she used to be a journalist and she reported on this case back in the day, the Gary Condit uh case again. People thought... He was a congressman. People thought he killed his intern, Chandra Levy. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember her name. But I I don't remember his. Um, She was murdered, and she was having an affair with him, and she... People thought he
0: did it. Did he? No. It was a serial killer. (gasps)
1: Oh! Yeah.
0: And that just happened to overlap. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah. And she covered that, so I asked her about that case as well, because that's just interesting. (sighs) But anyway, yeah. I mean... It really tells you a lot about human the brain and mm-hmm. why we're drawn to certain stories and what's interesting. But she's a great person to talk to if you're into true crime because she has a lot of experience. I know
0: the brain candy brain acts are. I
1: know. Yeah. So I think they'll really like this interview because we touch upon those things and talk about my penitentiary pals that I write to and stuff like that. But anyway, I welcome Kate to the show, and I hope you guys check out her book, Death in the Air, The True Story of a Serial Killer, The Great London Smog, and The Strangling of a City. It was such a fascinating book. Um, Congratulations. How do you feel?
2: Thank you. It's been great. I mean, it's three years in the making, and it's exhausting, but it's wonderful. I know, right? Are you so over it? As long as it seems, it's even longer. I promise you. I'm not over it, but I'm you know reaching capacity. <laughs> I think I've, I think my love bucket is filled for me <laughs> for definitely. Yeah, and
1: yeah. Because you have to research it, then you got to write the dang thing, and then you got to right. talk about it to all the clowns like me who you know <laughs> want to know more. But I mean, it's a real accomplishment, so you should be proud. Um, okay, so. I didn't even know about the fog situation. I mean, I knew about the apparel brand that was called London (laughs) Fog, and that was about it. Um, And so, you know, it kind of speaks to the book's point that this didn't get the kind of attention that it deserved. Right. Okay, so let's start there. Why the heck didn't people care about this disgusting situation and dangerous, I think
2: a couple of things. It's the same reason why we're not completely horrified um, in America of the state of our air right now, which is not good. So, um, London, 1952, is post war, four years after the war, World War II. And um, it's just a nation that's literally shell shocked. I mean, there are still buildings in ruin, the government's bankrupt, coal is just a part of life of being a Londoner. It's the most populated city in the world at the time. It's the most uh, industrialized. It's a compact. People are living on top of each other. There's a lot of poverty. And, you know, these fogs are just well-known. I mean, it just, it's part of life in London. And dirty, nasty yellow fogs just came and gone. And the difference was this one didn't go for five days. And that's what caused the problem. And even then... It didn't occur to people that this was the bad fog until the government started releasing the number of people who died. And then it sort of became apparent. But even then, you know, it was, um, I think it was a situation where people just said, well, let's just, you know, stiff upper lip and move on, um, which is a little horrifying. But I think it was just, you know, even now, a lot of people in London I've spoken to have no idea, never heard of it, unless you've seen the crown. And then you've heard of it. So huh. almost every woman over 45 I've met has heard of
1: it <laughs> <laughs> they've all seen the crown. So, so you're doing, you're, you're doing research and you're thinking this would be a, a cool uh, story for a book. And then you start coming across these other headlines about something else that was killing people at the time and how, I know it's sort of ghastly, but how excited were you to be like, oh, dang we we can combine these situations these stories into one one yeah. narrative
2: i used a word a lot stronger than dang i think <laughs> <when> I... <laughs>
1: Because that's exciting.
2: (laughs) It was, and I am a huge true crime fan. I was a TV producer for years, and I report on crime. It's just my wheelhouse. I love it. And um, I grew up with a father who was a criminal defense attorney, so I wasn't looking for a serial killer who stashed bodies under floorboards and (laughs) you know in behind kitchen walls and in the garden. Um, But when I was trying to find information on the fog in the newspapers, I couldn't get away from this beast of Rillington Place and House of Horrors. And so um, I just started realizing there was this connection. And I found a letter that his wife had written about the fog and how they were kind of smushed together and they couldn't, you know, they were both sick from the fog. And so I just realized that that these stories could work really well in parallel with each other. And then they eventually converge in the media because uh, honestly, the media could have could care less at that point about the fog and they were much more concerned about this serial killer who was on the loose. Um, and so was the media and, and so were the, the politicians also.
1: Yeah. And I mean, really that just sort of reflects the public's interest, which is the same. Now we do the same dang thing. Um, and so I get that. Do you think that like when it comes to the public's, Interest in the environmental issues versus a serial killer does it do you think that it's about control like you feel like if you just catch the bad guy, you can stop the terribleness, but you can't I, stop the fog. they thought
2: yeah, I think it's much easier to be concerned about a clear and present danger, like this serial killer who's running around the city and maybe you're the next victim um, versus something that is a a problem that is, requires a systemic change, which is air pollution. I mean, it was just not, it was, and it's kind of a Debbie Downer and it's boring (laughs) (laughs) and it just, I'll tell you, it took a lot of work for me to turn the fog into a boogeyman, but I really needed to, and it's a good boogeyman, I think.
1: Yeah. And you were successful because it did feel so menacing. And I kept thinking about you as the writer and how I wondered if you felt like you had a fog around you sort of every day while writing it.
2: I think so. I think that I work really hard to stay present in the book and, you know, just to continue to stay connected with the characters, in the middle of writing the book, we had some really horrible wildfires, similar—well, much much smaller than what's happening now in the West, but really um, about 30 or 40 miles from Austin. And I could step outside my office at the University of Texas and just smell the fumes from— 30, 40 miles away. Mm-hmm. And it just constantly brought me back to the feeling that you can't when you're in a fog, just like in a wildfire, you can't, there's, there's no escape. You know, fumes are not stopped by the front door or closed window. They come in, there's nothing to stop it. So um, I think, you know, staying really present was helpful. And luckily, I just love creepy things. And so I was really able, I mean, I had candles lit everywhere. <laughs> I like a, a room of sacrifice or something. I was watching really creepy um, TV series on BBC with the accents. And so I really, it was sort of method acting except method writing. Or something yeah,
1: like that. that makes sense <laughs> because you really had to portray that, convey that to your reader as well. And you did such a good job in if I I was flying when I read it, and I felt you know how you already feel weird on a plane, and mm-hmm. in, enclosed, in <laughs> and I re, that you were very effective.
0: Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts.
1: the gal that you ended up speaking to Rosemary who was 13 at the time and had a story to tell about her father in the fog and the tragedy in her family here's what I don't get because it said in the notes that she was reluctant to talk to you Mm -hmm. what's with that
2: I know well
1: (laughs) I can't relate (laughs) you
2: would be you would yeah I think I think it could be a British thing. Oh. Hopefully, it doesn't offend any of your British. My viewers. husband's
1: British. It, I feel you're right.
2: Is it a British thing? Yeah. Uh, you know, her siblings and her mom never talked about it. Literal. I mean, she's seventy-seven now, and they <sighs> they won't talk about it. And I think that um, the common response I got from the people, you know, there were a lot of people I interviewed that never ended up in the book. They were sort of on background. And the, it was a very common response was that this was just a fog. It just happened. Oh, and yeah. then it was over and we had to move on. And, I, you know, it's different for Rosemary because she lost her father. Yeah. But um, I can't imagine living with the body of your father in the parlor with the door shut for several weeks and it not affecting you, but we're different. Americans are different. And I think she just didn't want to, to dig it up, but she had such a remarkable memory about everything. I was really grateful.
1: Do you think that she has fears now about fog and stuff?
2: Maybe I have fears about fog. Do you? Well, okay. Not, it's strange, not about pollution, so for me, the fog was certainly creepy in the, in, the, in the sense that, you know, there are all these chemicals entering your body and everything mm-hmm. burns and your nose burns and your throat burns. But the fog to me represents a vulnerability. And I think that that's a big thread throughout the book is, you know, a city that's vulnerable after World War II, um, people in Notting Hill where the serial killer lived who are vulnerable because it's such a horrible area with so many horrible, horrible people. And then, you know, this little girl who didn't choose to live in London, didn't choose her father's um, profession, you know, didn't, made no choices about burning coal. And um, so for me, what fog represents now in, is a little bit of fear because I have a line in the book that's very true for me, which is, you know, if you're in the fog and you can't see anything, you're surrounded if you're with your husband or your wife, you can kind of grab onto them and it's it's romantic you know you're safe and it's sort of you two against the world. When you're by yourself, especially in a dangerous city like London was at the time, you become very vulnerable. And so I think every time I, I feel a fog, I do, or I, I'm in a fog, which happens when I run sometimes, I do feel a little bit of uneasiness. Yeah. But it's still my favorite weather phenomenon. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> You're a glutton so for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Christy. Yes. Okay. First of all, what's your diagnosis of this guy? <laughs>
2: I don't know. I think about that a lot. And I was wondering if you were going to ask that. So (laughs) here you go. So here's the thing. You can go, you mean diagnosis, like, do I think he's a Looney Tune or do I? Okay. I think anyone who scatters bodies all over his property (laughs) probably has some problems. (laughs) But I think my understanding of definition between psychopath and sociopath is the psychopath isn't aware that what he's doing is wrong and therefore doesn't cover it up. Christie clearly covered up, um, you know, his crimes and he planned them very well. So I don't know. I think that it's good he was executed, probably. It wasn't given the, you know, uh, the opportunity to have an insanity plea. But, you know, I don't know. He just had he was so he he was so interesting because he had what I would think is sort of a stereotypical background for a serial killer. He was a loner, he had a semi-abusive father, he was at an oppressive mother. He had trouble with girls in that department growing up and he was made fun of and then on top of that he was gassed in the First World War so he has this really squeaky voice. He has a girlish bounce. I mean, the guy just had so many strikes against him. So yeah, he was pretty ticked at the world and this is just one of the ways that it manifested itself. So I don't know. I think probably not. I think some some type of mental illness, but he certainly knew what he was doing. What
1: I don't do you think? think? Well, I don't think he felt bad at all. There was no remorse. And so I thought sociopath. Mm-hmm. Um, and I write letters. I'm, a, I'm pen pals, penitentiary pals with um, the Unabomber and BTK. What? Yeah. And I write to them and they write me back and they sound very similar.
2: Let's forget about my book for a second. So (laughs) what do they say in these letters?
1: Well, Unabomber, he (laughs) he was a PhD in mathematics and he still writes a lot and wants to publish books. So when people write to him, if he thinks that you can provide him with a resource, like information about something in academia, then he'll write you back because he sees it like as transactional. Okay. So I use him and he uses me because I'm trying to find out information about morality because my PhD is in religious studies.
2: Oh, right. And
1: so I wanted to get to the bottom of like, do you think these people just snapped and cho- like like are they choosing darkness or, yeah. or what happened in their life anyway? And so he's very seemingly sane. Like he makes a lot of good points yeah. and his thing was that he had a you know he had the manifesto so he had something to say like a philosophy
2: yeah
1: whereas the btk one you remember him
2: i do um uh, yeah. bind torture kill
1: yeah dennis Rader.
2: mm-hmm that was uh wa- see i don't even want to go into it. <laughs> how much i know it's washington state i think right
1: i think he was in kansas topeka kansas we'll, look, we'll look it up yeah we'll
2: see okay so what is <laughs> what does btk say
1: well, he sounds more like Christy and he, his technique was a little bit more like that, where there was sexual, uh, a component of sexual pleasure and, uh, also with the, the choking mm-hmm. aspect. So he, they sound similar and oh. his, the stuff he sends is way weirder. Like he draws pictures a lot and like, <laughs> Your face is classic. <laughs> anyway, that's enough about me. I'm just saying like, I sent, it, he sounded so similar and that's how I classify them is just sociopathic where they have no, they have no sense of right and wrong. If they do, they don't care.
2: Well, okay. So I'd be interested in what BTK says about stuff like this. Christie loved animals, loved them, protected them. It broke his heart to put down his old dog. He gave away his cat before he went on the run. So it's so odd. He was very protective of animals and it was just his little family. Of course he killed his wife. So part of the family went away, but I think you know, also another trait would be interesting to find out with the BTK and Unabomber is serial killers a lot of times are very, very creative. You know, um, photography, Christy was really into photography, art, you know, you were saying the Unabomber. Right. And so, you know, I think that those are all it's just so interesting to see in a case that's more than 60 years old that these details come out. That are just similar, that, you know, serial killers have been this very similar yes. for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, so.
1: Right.
2: Fascinating.
1: It really is. And I don't know, even, well, in John Ronson's book about psychopaths, um, he talks about, though, how often they do really love animals mm-hmm. and that they see them as possessions and that they're, you know, it, it's like if somebody wrecked your car when you lose your dog it's like that kind of feeling where you're like devastated but not in the same way that we would feel if we lost someone we loved
0: mm-hmm. but okay
1: but i think that that's a common thing too weird
2: right really weird there's a well, we're getting off topic but there's an
1: article <laughs> i think it
2: was in the atlantic monthly that talks about uh, you know, my child is a psychopath and how do you identify that? It's so fascinating. I wish you I have could to have sent You send me that. Him. I will. I will. I'll send you that. Oh, that's so, interesting.
1: Okay. Yeah. So okay. now also, I'm, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure that you also keep having to answer this, but I am curious. So I want to know if you really do think there were two serial killers in that dang house. No. Oh, you don't. No, do you, you made me,
2: well, no,
1: but you made me think you did.
2: Well, I wasn't, so here's the thing. So I'm a journalist and we're taught to not take a stand. You, you, you know, present people yeah. with information and they can make their own decision. My issue, I think with the story with Timothy Evans is, well, I don't think there were two serial killers. No. Okay, let me rewind. Two so killers. Yeah. I do think Timothy Evans was guilty. So you're right.
1: Oh.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, hold on. You going to a other murder-
1: <laughs> No, go ahead. Go ahead. What? Okay.
2: So <laughs> So the setup of the story is is the the Timothy Evans and his wife and child move into the building. The wife and child go missing. He confesses. Then he says, no, I didn't do it. Then he says, yes, I did do it. He's an abusive husband. Yeah. He's cheating on his wife. And when they finally track down her body and the the little girl's body, he's convicted partially because of John Christie's testimony. And – um, I think that the issue people had at the time was that once we discovered that John Christie was a serial killer, it was hard for people to believe that um, there would be two killers living in the same building at the same time. Okay, yeah. I know, that's odd, but not a serial killer. <laughs> two serial killers? Yeah, that's a really little over the top. <laughs> You're right. So, okay, so Notting Hill in the 1950s was a really difficult place. There was a lot of poverty. It was a slum. Um, there 's a high unemployment, a lot of alcohol, and mm-hmm. a lot of servicemen coming back from the war with guns yeah. and pretty pissed off with life yeah. and so a serial killer in a building with another serial killer is pretty out of the question. <laughs> a serial killer in a building with a husband who was abusive and then snapped yeah, yeah. it doesn 't surprise me one it it nobody can accept that. Today or sixty five years ago, it just seems like too much of a of a coincidence that they were both in the building at the same time. The problem yeah. is is they're both liars, and we kind of had a keystone cop situation happening where the Metropolitan Police just really didn't uh, do a good job with the investigation. They walked right by a thigh bone holding up a piece of fence when they were searching for this wife and this this little girl. I mean, it's just incredible. So, um, there were a lot of missed things. And and again, that speaks to the atmosphere of London at the time, which was a police force that was undermanned, um, really heavy with crime. And that area was such a bad area. Christie's garden was just wrecked. There was trash everywhere. And of course, two bodies buried and they walked right over the bodies. They had no idea that these two skeletons were there. So, there were a lot of missteps, but I think the issue of just finding out who was guilty and who wasn't in that situation is they were both violent. They were both liars. They both recanted. And, you know, and so I think there's so much confusion, um, over both of their stories. I think the more likely story is that Timothy Evans did kill his wife and little girl and Christie confessed, but he confessed, I think primarily, well, I know because, um, his his uh, defense attorney wanted to uh, go for an insanity plea. And so he said more the merrier, you know, put in as many bodies as you can. He tried to get him to confess to a murder in Windsor where Christie wasn't even in Windsor at the time. So, I mean, it's an admirable thing, I guess. I <laughs> desperation of an attorney. This co- is why
1: people need to read the book, by the way, because there's so many parts that are just like head scratchers and... It's just really fun read, even though it's disturbing. Um, okay, now, what do you think... See, this is why people end up talking about the murder stuff more than fog, because, like, the it's not the death as much as it is the oddity of it. Like, even yeah. that tin of pubic hair, come on, what is <laughs> happening? I kept reading it and thinking, what is going on with that tin? Why was that there? I that, need answers, I think, Kate.
2: You, <laughs> so did, I thought BTK had a trophy. Didn't he have trophies? Yeah, but did not
1: he? a 10. I mean, he's not crazy. <laughs> not a 10 of I care.
2: <laughs> well, and I, you know, I think... The description of when I spoke to Lynn Trevelyan over the phone, the the description of that was funny because when I talked to him, he was the police officer who found the 10 to begin with. When I talked to him over the phone, he was 101. No, no, no. So you can imagine how I didn't want to hear a 101-year-old man talk about pubic hair. But it is an important detail. I mean, trophies exist. And, you know, people like him. He kept – he snipped his – wife's pubic hair also and kept wedding rings and you know Timothy Evans kept his wife's wedding ring and it's just an odd an odd thing you know when Christy killed his wife he put her under the floorboards of the parlor and sort of slept nearby in the bedroom but he couldn't sleep in the marital bed where he killed her so he slept on the floor it was like the process of what people
1: right where they draw the line that's
2: true yeah but the but uh I think the ten. And with the pubic hair and there are pictures out there of it too. Um, I don't think the the evidence, I know, longer exists. God. And then it became, I'll tell you the most fascinating part is when 1950s pathologists were debating whether or not this pubic hair came from which woman and, and so I'm reading all these reports and it's no. like, of course yeah, and then they exhumed the body of the wife, Burl Evans, Timothy Evans' wife, and checked the length to see, this is going down a bad road.
1: I- <laughs> I love so it, though. Much. That's so interesting. And they were and seeing a it's
2: the link. Right. Well, they said that a body will allow, your body will allow your hair to grow, all hair to grow after you die for a certain period. And so it was clear that she had never had her pubic hair clipped. So mm-hmm. um, it, to the defense attorneys, or to the prosecutor, proved that that he hadn't that none of the pubic hair found in the ten belonged to Burl Evans therefore Christie didn't kill her therefore you know they had not prosecuted and hanged the wrong man so there's an of the, the autopsy photos and the pathology reports are startling
1: who to knew me. that that tin of pubic hair would come in handy?
2: I would say it was very handy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay,
2: very. Well, garden though that was a little odd, but
1: yeah, that's <laughs> that's the odd part.
2: <laughs> but also, why would you? Yeah, why would you use a thigh bone to prop up a fence? Also, right? Um, anyway. He made some
1: interesting choices.
2: He did. He did.
1: Okay, <laughs> now I have to like <laughs> keep doing that because there is so many different things. So when you were working in television. You covered the famous Chandra Levy case. I
2: did, yeah. Which
1: was fascinating and sort of let, I mean, 9 11 is kind of what made that go away in terms of coverage because up until that point, that's all that was on television in the evenings. Mm-hmm. Um, did you think Gary did it at the time? I did. Yeah, me too.
2: I think so too. I can't believe you remember that. I- <laughs>
1: I I was into it, and I thought he did it for sure, and uh, I'm shocked that he didn't do it.
2: I am, too, because obviously the more—okay, so do do you think people know about this case? Chandra Levy? Yeah. So she disappeared, I think—so that happened in September of 2001, so she disappeared a few months earlier. Earlier, right? Yeah. Yeah, Like
1: early in 2001 or something.
2: Right. And she, and she was an intern for a California Congressman named Gary Condit. And he was sort of the king of the castle in central California.
1: Yeah,
2: And, um, you know, it was a agriculture community. So I had to set up shop there for a couple of
1: months.
2: Modesto, in, right? In Modesto, the almond capital of the country, I believe. <laughs> and so I went to, uh, Modesto quite a lot when I lived in San Francisco, so Gary was having an affair with his intern who then went missing. Right. And, and so it was right. And, and then I don't remember if she was actually pregnant, but there were rumors that she was pregnant and she just walked out the door for a run and never came back. And then, right. It turns into a, uh, he, he clammed up. He was married to a woman who had, I think, brain cancer at oh the time my God. and lived in that. Lived in Central California. she. I think it was brain cancer or tumor. I can't remember. And um, he lost reelection. He was never charged. He was a suspect, but he wouldn't talk. Nobody would talk about it. When he
1: was, like, throwing uh, stuff related to her in dumpsters. Cause... Yeah, she bought him, like, a
2: watch, I think, yeah. and he lost it. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. So, right, who would think that a serial killer is the one out of all the possible people who would have uh, – you know, grabbed her. So she was, I don't remember what the park was, but apparently she was jogging through the park and she got snatched and killed and buried at the park. And I think it was only just a few years ago that they finally found her body, but it ruined his career for sure. Right?
1: you know, I don't even know what he's doing. Is he just retired or?
2: I don't know. He must. Yeah, I'm sure he, and he was a very popular, um, representative. Yeah. He was missing under. So So
1: don't bang your intern. That's
2: a Well, at least be open about it if the police come knocking and saying, Hey, she's gone. I mean, he just completely shut down and that's what caused the suspicion. But right, I mean, if you're gonna choose between a random killer who is stalking women <laughs> in a Washington <laughs> park versus, you know, the guy who's having an affair who's boy, I think he was in his forties or early fifties and she was twenty one or twenty two, very right. young at the time. So anyway, it caused a huge scandal. And that was my first I would say that was a crime story that I really dug my my way into and I really really in, enjoyed that story. And it sounds weird. I'm sure you feel the same way about your pen pals. It sounds weird and and sort of guilty for me to feel like I do enjoy these stories because they're so lurid and and uncomfortable and sometimes I feel like, you know, I'm getting entertainment out of someone else's sorrow. But man, it really does it all those stories say something about our society. Yeah. And and what we value. And again, you know, coming back to the book, why would you be scared? Why are we more interested in a serial killer? And even more interested when he's caught. So the clear and present danger is done in March. They've caught him, he's surrendered, and then the trial and the headlines went through the entire summer. I mean, the whole summer. He led the newspapers. Every time a a psychiatrist would get on the stand, you know, I mean, there were these full spread um, front page articles and it was incredible. And yet the fog is barely in there. It's in the parliamentary notes in the back section of the um, Times of London. So, but again, you know, this is, John Reginald Christie was a pretty extraordinary case because I'm so into true crime and, you know, I watch Dateline NBC. I watch all of those shows. And so I'm prepared if somebody sneaks up on me pretty well. And, <laughs> I am. and it is, it's is—it's a practical thing you get out of that as you right. learn a little self-defense, you know, and what people do wrong. You know, always lock your doors. And um, so it takes a lot to shock me. And so I'm not interested in anybody who doesn't shock me. And he really did. Wow. Yeah.
1: And he has no relatives, like alive.
2: No, not really. I mean, he had some. He had some sisters. No brother. He had some sisters who I think everybody just sort of went away, and he was detached from his family completely. So, um, yeah, nobody who he never had children. So,
1: thank God. All right, Uh, you're off the hook. I I was wondering if you were the person that found this beautiful photo on the cover. No. How psyched were you?
2: It was great. And I really, and my editor, I think, was drawn to it really, really quickly also. So, and that was taken during the smog. um, And it was put on a magazine cover in November, I believe, of 1953. So, yeah. It's such a
1: gorgeous photo. And it's, of course, you know, symbolic in so many ways. I actually was like, is this real or was it, you know, made just for the book? Because it's so appropriate. I love it.
2: That's one of the things I think about this story, the pictures that first struck me were, you know, seeing these pictures and seeing just sort of people trying to make their way through this fog. And I think that that really is what drew it to me. I'm really into visuals. I can't tell a story unless I can put, you know, the visuals to the page because I'm just such a, you know, sort of movie documentary television driven person. So. Um, I was, it was really appealing to me Yeah, and also serial killer me. stuff. I mean, those photos are pretty, some of them out there are pretty right. gnarly body bags and bones and you know,
1: Right, so it's, it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> it just is. Yeah, so I is. hope everybody reads it. Um, do you have plans for your next move or are you like, you need a break?
2: No, no breaks for me. I'm not, a, I know. Yeah. I have another book in the works wow. and I can't really I can't talk about it, but so it's not, it is, um, sort of 1870s, Gilded Age New York, and another Looney Tune who's yes. probably not a real Looney Tune, yeah, genius, <laughs> genius, except this one's a real genius, um, genius, um, killer. So,
1: wow, I love it.
2: Well, and that's so nice because you can just drop yourself into an incredibly rich world, especially you know, fit 1950s London and Gilded Age New York, and so that's just. I love being in that world and finding out what people ate and the parties and, you know, the good and the bad. So.
1: Wow. Great. Keep up the good work.
2: Thanks. My I appreciate God. it. My God,
1: fantastic. And you're off a hook. I'll uh, let you know when this posts.
2: Cool. Thank you. Thanks I appreciate so it. it. Hey, I have your email, so I'll send you um, Do it. the link to The Atlantic. It's a crazy, crazy article. It's great. Oh,
1: my God. Thanks. You're the best. You're welcome. Have a All great right. day and congrats you again. Thanks, Susie. Bye, Kate. Bye.